Today concludes our series on the Psalms, and we turn to Psalm 145. This month we've been considering uh, basically those Psalms that speak of the praise of the Lord and focus on that. Of course, in some ways we can say that all the Psalms are speaking about the praise of the Lord, but <clears throat> this morning um, we're looking, and this month we've been looking at those that focus uh, most uh, our attention on who God is and his greatness and his wonder and the things that he has done. And uh, one of my favorites is Psalm 145, and that's what we're going to conclude. And uh, if you want to continue reading there <clears throat> today, just go on to 146, 47, 48, 49, 50, and just continues like with a strong, you might say, hallelujah chorus, so to speak. And uh, as we read in our call to worship, Psalm 150, lifting up a praise to the Lord. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. So let's look at uh, Psalm 145 together <clears throat> and consider God's holy inspired word. Psalm 145, a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord our God, we, gave, we give you praise for you are worthy, you are great, and you are good, and you are compassionate and gracious and trustworthy and faithful in all you do. And we thank you, O Lord, that you not only <clears throat> are such, but that you've revealed yourself to us in this way, and that you have called us to seek you, to experience you in all of your goodness and all your wonder and all your splendor. And, O Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes and hearts to see the greatness of the Lord, even though no one can fathom it, and we see but a, uh, the, the, the shadow of your ways because you are so great and so awesome. But, O Lord, we pray that you would enable us to lift up our hearts to you, to be able to see you more clearly today. 
than we ever have before and to fill our hearts with joy as we contemplate the greatness of our God and King. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. When you think about vacations, where do people like to go the most? Well, they go to the mountains, right, like here, or they go to the beach. And one of the things about, about, there's many reasons why they do that, and there's many things, but one of those things about the mountains and the beach is that both of them represent something very large and great and wonderful that's far beyond us. The mountain range is huge and awesome, and the forest within it is incredible. Or you go to the ocean and it just extends off forever. It's like people want to wonder. People want to see something great. And it's like a refreshment for their souls. And, you know, we're different from the rest of the animals that God has created on this earth. They live in the mountains and they live in the sea, but they can't really contemplate it. They can't think about it and see its wonder and greatness. We can stand there on the beach or from our hotel room or looking over the mountains in a cabin and see its wonder and, and appreciate how great and vast it is and wonder at it. But we're different in this way. God has created us in a different way. And with God, and what we see is that all these things point to the fact that human beings find their refreshment and wonder in something that is much greater than themselves. And that is, of course, pointing us to God himself. Now, there's a difference with God. We can't see him with our eyes, but we can contemplate him with our minds. In fact, God has put a sense of who he is within us, and we can see these things outside us, and we can move towards him. We can let the mountains and the sea cause us to, to lift up our hearts unto the Lord, as it says throughout the scriptures. And that's what the psalmist did. The context of this passage is praise. He's, he's seeing the greatness and the wonder of God, and he's speaking about it and singing about it. And what it says here is that he praises the Lord forever and ever. It just goes on and on, and it happens every single day. And so what we want to look at in this passage is why does the psalmist do that? Why is he praising God? What is the reason why he lifts his heart up unto the Lord? And it's really, we're going to look at three things that this passage teaches us. One is that God is great. Two, that God is gracious. And three, that God is true. So God is great, God is gracious, and God is true. So first of all, let's look at the fact that God is great. And that's the first thing that the psalmist sees in this passage. He moves in verse 3 to say, Lord, um, oh, wrong, wrong psalm. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. In other words, he's so great, he's so far beyond us that we can't even begin to see his greatness. And when I think about the universe, it's interesting. You know, even a few centuries ago, they didn't necessarily know that there was, that we were in a galaxy um, and how many stars that had. Um, but still, they could look up at the night sky and wonder at all the stars that were there. And especially when you didn't have the pollution of city lights, you can see it so clearly. I remember the first time I went to uh, South Dakota, where there's a lot less people than there are here, and there was no moon out. It was the, what do they call it, the whole moon or whatever. So what I, when you can't see the moon, <laughs> not the full moon, the opposite. What is it? New moon, thank you. So new moon, you can't see it, and the stars were just amazing. I'd never seen anything like that. I was like, wow. So this is what Abraham saw. 
You know, this is what the people in the past saw. It was amazing. And you could even see where the Milky Way was and why they called it that, which is something I'd never experienced really in southern Michigan or Chicago or anywhere else. And so it's, it's full of glory, it's full of wonder, but then now we, we have means of looking out and we see that our galaxy is just one of 100 million galaxies and there are 100 million stars. It's like big beyond our comprehension. And I think that one reason God created that is so we'd look out and we'd say, here's a sort of object lesson of his greatness because who is the being that would create such a thing? And it is the greatness of God that we see there. We can also see the greatness of God in, one of the ways we can see the greatness of God is taking anything that we see that we enjoy in this world, and then we amplify it by infinity. So whether it's uh, um, the mountains and their majesty, we see that God is infinitely greater than that. Or if it's like the new life of a baby, that we see the joy of life in a child, and we say God is, is life itself. He is life, and he's an endless source of life. We see and enjoy something that's, that's good, that we taste, that we say God is sufficient in himself and he, fill, in himself and he fills us with pleasure. But it's, it, we just can keep going on and on because his greatness is such that no one can fathom. And that's why the psalmist then goes on to say how glorious is his greatness. And he just piles on words saying, the people who see the Lord continue to praise the Lord, continue to give him honor. It says... One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And it says, I'll meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works. And he says, and I will proclaim the power of your great deeds. And so he sees there that it's awesome, it's glorious, it's filled with splendor. Whether he's contemplated the creation of the world, the governing of the world, God's great acts in the Old Testament, like bringing Israel out of Egypt, or the fulfillment of that in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he raised our Lord up from the dead and seated him above all power and authority, or whether it's sending the message about Jesus unto the ends of the earth and seeing the nations being converted and returning to the Lord. All these things are the wonderful works of the Lord. The other aspect of his greatness is that his greatness is seen in the rule of his kingdom. As he contemplates these things in verse um, 11, he says, They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So one of the ways that the Bible wants us to think of the Lord is as a king who rules. And all the domain of the universe of, the pla- of this planet is his kingdom. And it's a kingdom in which he rules and does glorious and wonderful things. Verse 12. So that all your people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom, that he's reigning in a glorious way. And it just keeps going on. Verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And you can see that this this is the case, because uh, nations have come and gone. There are, there are the kingdoms that have reigned throughout the world. When Jesus came into the world, much of the world where he was was ruled by the Roman Empire, which no longer exists. And other nations came trying to claim that, and those are gone. But the kingdom of Jesus just keeps going, and more and more people just keep coming into it. I, was, I got to see a, a living example of this when I was in Bogota, 
with uh, my daughter. We went to a church, and it was an English-speaking church in a, in a, in a, na- in a city that is very, very Spanish-speaking. But there, the pastor there, who's actually from here, from Tennessee, he went down there to serve as a pastor. He told me that there was probably 25 different nationalities represented in that service that morning. And you just think, the reign of Jesus just keeps going all over, and it just keeps going into the future, and it keeps bringing in new people, and they keep gathering together in spite of what people may say against it, in spite of all opposition, in spite of the, the fact that people want to turn the, some people want to turn the page on, on the reign of Christ. It just keeps going, and more and more people all over the world keep embracing it. That's the greatness of our God. But you know, the greatness of God wouldn't necessarily be that good for us unless we also knew that the Lord was good and gracious. Unless we knew that the, that the one who was so mighty was for us and willing to receive us and willing to forgive us. And that's how the Lord wants us to think of him. So we see, secondly, that God is gracious. And you can see in um, verse 7, it speaks of God's goodness. God's, and it says that it's abundant. They celebrate your abundant goodness. That, it is, that his goodness is not just small. It's not just, he's not just giving it begrudgingly. But that he's, it's abundant. It's, it's manifold. It's rich. He's rich in goodness. As uh, the, one of our confessions of the Protestant church, the Belgian confession said, he is good and the overflowing fountain of all good. It's his abundant goodness. And it describes this in verse 8, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate to all, slow to anger and rich in love. Now that verse 8 is one that you probably have heard before as we've gone through the Psalms. This is really, this is really how Israel would have thought of the Lord. Because when, when God brought them out of Egypt, and when God was dealing with their sin of building the golden calf and judging them for it, the Lord revealed himself to Moses, and he said, The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so that stuck in the mind of the people of Israel to say, this is the kind of God we want to, this is the God, this is how we are to think of our Lord. And it's interesting, even, even in Israel, the northern kingdom, where they didn't follow the Lord that faithfully, the, still this went down into them, such that when the Syrian king was in trouble and being defeated by the Israelites, uh, the servants advised them, Go to the kings of Israel because they're compassionate and they will have mercy on you because they had imbibed this idea that God was gracious and compassionate and merciful. And one aspect of that, and this is spoken of throughout this passage, is that the Lord is, looks upon the weak and he lifts them up. And the Lord has a special place in his heart for the widow, for the orphan, and for the immigrant, for the stranger in the land. And what this has led is that, all, is that the followers of the God of Israel all throughout, the, all throughout the world have always said, well, then we need to go to the widow. We need to go to the orphan. We need to help the stranger. It has given them a compassion for the Lord loves them and has a special place in his heart for them. So we go to those who are the least of these, those who are marginalized, those who are outcast, because that's the kind of God we have. 
When we think that no one is for us, that we're excluded, that we're on the outside, we see that God cares about us. God has concern for us. And so God is merciful, and we should be too, because God is the gracious and compassionate God. And you can see this above all in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, over and over again, he'd been working hard all day. He'd been teaching and preaching, and he was ready to be done. But then he saw the crowds coming to him, and it says that he was moved with compassion. He saw their struggles, he saw their weaknesses, and he knew they needed help, and he wanted to go to them. And that, of course, reflects the Father in heaven who looked on a world that had rebelled against him and turned from him. And it says that God so loved that world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so when we're struggling with sin or, or, or loneliness or being marginalized or when people are attacking us, we know we have a God who has compassion on us in our weakness. And indeed... What we can see is that God's mercy fills the earth. In verses 14, 14, it says, The Lord upholds all who fall, lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food at their proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. That we see the goodness of God, not only in this word, where it's proclaimed in, in such brilliance, but also in creation. As he, his goodness fills the earth, that we see good things all around us, that we see the Lord's mercy all around us, that the Lord takes care of the animals. And what Jesus says, if God cares for the animals, for the birds, um, how much more will he care for you? For you're worth more than many sparrows. That is the goodness of the Lord. And so we give him praise for that. But we praise him also because he's true. That he's, he's not just good, but that he's true that he's faithful, that he, does what is, that he is righteous, and that he does what is right. Look at verse 13. It says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. What this means is that he's consistent, he's trustworthy, he's faithful, he keeps doing good to the world even though we don't deserve it, he keeps doing good to us even though we don't deserve it, and he keeps, he keeps showing us goodness Even when we wander, even when we fail, he comes back to us again and again to lift us up, to help us in every way. God is faithful to his people. And what that means is that when we have, when we have, when we need help, we can call upon him. And he says, if call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. And so he is faithful that he'll be there for us, that he is, he is going to, to be there for us whenever we need him, that we may, we may not have been thinking about God for weeks. But then all of a sudden, or very little, but all of a sudden we find ourselves in trouble and we say, turn unto the Lord. And we say, I need you, Lord. And the Lord says, I'm right there, there to help you. The Lord is there for his people. He's committed to us and he's going to be there for us, even if, if, if we wander and turn away. He's called us to be in covenant with him and his love is going to get deeper and he's going to stay true to us as his people. And he'll stay true to his righteousness. If people reject his love, then he's going to deal with that. He's not going to let the world go on opposing him forever. He's patient. He's kind. But the Lord will deal with wickedness and unrighteousness. And even in us, he'll keep coming to us and turning us and changing us. 
And if we go off in a different way, he'll confront us and bring us back. That's the Lord. That's our faithful God. And each person who's followed him for a period of time can know that that's the kind of God that we serve. And so we give him praise. This is the meditation that is sweet and wonderful to his people. I want to close with, uh, with a story of Isaac Newton, a little, a little note about him. Um, and this kind of like wraps up kind of everything we've said in the Psalms. He was, um, of course, Isaac Newton is a man who's well known in the world. And uh, he's famous for the, sitting under the, app, the story that he was sitting under an apple tree and the apple fell on his head and there he found out, hey, there's gravity. Of course, that, that didn't occur. And, um, that, but it's, it's kind of description of, in a, a, a small picture of the things that he thought about. It was all about like complicated mathematics that most of us have no understanding of. And he understood these things and he was able to explain the world in a way that illuminated a lot of things. And um, the interesting thing is that he wanted to know about the world, but there was something else about him. He died in 1727, almost 300 years ago. But the amazing thing is he had a set of papers that were not opened until 1936, 200 years later. And these had just been kind of within his home or kept, and they weren't released to the public until 1936. But when they were open, people realized that Isaac Newton, Newton, Newton was interested in creation because he was interested in the creator. He wrote actually about 1.3 million words on religious subjects. And so he let the contemplation of the world lead him to contemplate his creator. And he wrote, for example, we must believe that there is one God or supreme monarch that we may fear and obey him and keep his laws and give him honor and glory. To us there is what, but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him, that is but one God and one Lord in our worship. And so he understood from his, all his studies of the universe that what the seeing of the things of this world where it was calling us to do was to move beyond that, to seek our creator. And that that is our call, and it is our duty as human beings. But it's also our glory. It's also our joy. And so my encouragement as we close the Psalms is that let us extend our hearts and minds to see the world, but then to move beyond it, to give glory unto God, turning that into songs of praise by which we will praise our Creator now and forever, day in and day out. Amen.